Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to NJSBA's podcast program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, uh, a program that we have designed so that you can meet educational leaders and uh, other state leaders in New Jersey. Uh, and feel free to be part of the conversation if you want. You can do that in two fashions. One, we have a chat room available. You do have to log in with Blog Talk Radio to use that <coughs> chat room, but uh, there is no fee. And also, if you want, you can dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and but press the number one, and I will put you up on the switchboard, uh, and I will identify you by the last four digits of your telephone number. So that's one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and press one. Uh, today, uh, as most people who look at New Jersey's budget, we have a new governor, uh, less than a week in, into the job, just a few days. Uh, one of the biggest problems that we have in New Jersey is our state budget. Um, and one of the things that's probably a catalyst to that, or not a catalyst, but something that really has affected the budget has been our pension and health benefit obligations. So here to talk to us today about that and have a conversation on that is Tom Byrne. Uh, Tom is uh, a member, uh, he was a member of the New Jersey Pension and Health Care Benefit Study Commission. We'll talk a lot about that. And he's also chair of the New Jersey State Investment Council. Welcome, Tom. Well, thank you. Nice to be with you. All right. Um, the New Jersey budget, one of, probably one of the hardest things that we have to grapple with in the budget, everyone wants more money, is the pension and benefit obligations that we have. Let's start with the pension. What is our situation now from your perspective? <clears throat> well, maybe what I should do is back up a step and, and say how we got into this. Is that helpful? Um, yep. That was going to be my next so, question, so what does matter? All right. We'll, we'll just get it all out on the table. Yeah, that's um, right. Basically, what has happened is, and, and this is the conclusion of the, the uh, Pension Commission's first report, which was how do we get into this mess? The second report was how do we get out of it? And if you Google New Jersey Pension and Health Benefits Study Commission, um, the reports will come up pretty quickly, and they're short. They're readable. Um, anyway, so we concluded that the last six governors um, did not contribute anywhere near enough to the pension system that they were supposed to. So each year, about $700 million of, um, of benefits accrue, and every year that you, um, you don't contribute that, you not only have uh, that additional liability, but obviously you lose um, the investment earnings on what should have been put in. And so kind of like debt accumulating on a credit card, um, this can just uh, balloon really, really quickly, and it has to the point where we have less than half the money that we need to pay out existing beneficiaries, um, number one. And number two, uh, to make that up, it's starting to require uh, a huge bite out of the state budget. And the state budget is about $35 billion a year. Um, right now, the state is um, – uh, committed to contributing about $2.5 billion a year into it, and we need somewhere between 5 and $6 billion a year to make this thing whole. Uh, and that's assuming a reasonable rate of return on investment of about 7% a year. Um, and so a key question is, where does that extra 2.5 to $3.5 billion come from? That's 
basically another 10% of the state budget. And that's particularly tricky because there's only a limited amount of discretionary spending in the state budget. So much of the state budget is already mandated spending that there's very little room to maneuver here. And so it's gonna require either exceptional investment returns or um, uh, more revenue in or restructuring of, um, of the benefit levels going forward. And um, that's where the negotiations are going to be really difficult. But if we wait too long, then this notion of, of um, if you wait too long to pay your credit card, the compound interest gets so big that the problem can become unsolvable and multiply that by uh, a billion. And, and that's the situation at the state level in a nutshell. So I'll stop there. And you know, feel okay, free to follow all that nice wanna... positive good news. Uh, <coughs> yeah. uh, so, from your perspective, uh, is we probably will have a difficult time raising that revenue just from tax increases, like even in just the millionaire tax or some well, other yeah, revenue. Millionaire tax alone would come nowhere near solving it. Um, we um, projected um, almost three years ago that it would require, um, if you isolated just one factor, it would require a 23% uh, across the board hike in the state income tax uh, to come up with the additional revenue required. And that number has only gone up since then. And um, if we know our New Jersey history, that is a pretty unpalatable uh, increase in the state income tax, not to mention um, what it would do to our the competitive landscape and attracting new jobs and so on. So again, um, there are a lot of constraints when it comes to solving this problem. And it's easy for politicians to say, "Oh, you know, don't worry, I'll make, I'll have somebody else pay for it." The millionaire tax uh, at most would raise about seven hundred million dollars, and uh, in incremental money. And I've just said that we need between two and a half and three and a half billion dollars more per year. So. Uh, that's how um, the, the magnitude of this problem is, is pretty difficult to understand. And one of the reasons that, you know, some of us are pounding away, urging a solution sooner than later, is if you wait too long, um, you, there's really just no way to come up with that many billions of dollars. I mean, uh, you know, right now, uh, the pension fund is worth about $77 billion, and we have at least... Uh, uh, that much and, and probably considerably more in accumulated liability. So, you know, we're way underfunded to the point where, and, and there are different funds for teachers, for um, police and fire, for public employees, but the first one that's for, uh, smallest one for state judges could run out of money within five years, and the teacher's fund could be, you know, run out of money within 12 to 13 years. Um, and that, again, is assuming some reasonable rate of return on investments. If you have a, a terrible bear market in stocks, the situation would be you know, even considerably worse. So that's why uh, politicians have to be willing to deal with this now. And it's going to require a lot of um, public education and political courage to get where we have to get. But if we don't do it, um, let's emphasize that this is not only bad for the state budget, but it's bad for the individuals who are really counting on the state for their retirement security. Uh, it may or may not be there. And people say, well, even if the pension funds run dry, 
um, it'll get paid out of the state operating budget. And maybe, but that's a big if, and there's a long conversation around what happens if the pension funds run dry. There's no certain answer. It's never really been tested at the state level. And it's not the kind of thing that you want to have uh, retirees who have worked hard, played by the rules, uh, done what was expected of them, have these promises broken to them, particularly if, if this is their main source of retirement security. So that's why uh, we've got to solve this. Now, you mentioned, uh, and as we move forward, I want to talk about some of the solutions that you look at, but um, a couple things. One, you, each of the pension uh, funds is at different levels. You mentioned the teachers and the uh, the judges, which I know is the smallest one, but uh, the police—that uh, one's in a much better shape. Is that because the municipalities have been putting in uh, this yes. portion? Yes, uh, the police and fire fund is the best funded, and you're right uh, in in large measure that uh, it's because even though the state. Um, is required, actuarially required, to contribute um, money into the funds. Um, the local governments are, are the ones who contribute in for uh, police and fire. And police and fire contribute a pretty generous chunk of their own salaries uh, into their funds. And so, yes, um, they are the best funded. Um, but still, um, you know, there's some peril even associated with the police and fire fund, even though it's, it's uh, far better than the others. Um, now, if, if if we continue on this road, uh, the cost of inaction, there is a big cost of inaction, and you kind of sure. are starting to lay that out. Um, would it eventually affect the money that goes into the state, from the state budget into, let's say, local schools and other ser local services? Because they no have question about it. What I said earlier is that the discretionary part of the state budget is not that large. And the largest component of discretionary spending is uh, aid to um, uh, suburban school districts, essentially the, the non-Abbott districts, if you will. Um, that is not court-mandated money, and it's the biggest um, pot of, of discretionary money in the state budget, followed um, pretty closely by you know, aid to higher education and so forth. And so the impact on educational institutions in this state, if we don't solve the pension crisis, would be absolutely enormous, almost incalculable, I think. And now I saw you speaking, before, and that was a while ago, uh, and that was before the federal government changed their, uh, they had the tax reform at the federal level. Does that help the situation in New Jersey, or that, does that make it a little bit, even, this problem even more magnified? Well, I, I, I think um, the, the SALT um, uh, tax changes in Washington are terrible for New Jersey on a number of levels. Uh, certainly, um, will, the non-deductibility above a certain amount um, makes it more expensive um, for taxpayers here, and in so doing, um, probably imposes a constraint on how much more you can do by, um, by raising revenue. And so while that may become a, a component of the ultimate reform as a matter of political compromise, if nothing else, what the commission did is it came up with, um, with some structural changes to the pension system and to the health care benefit system 
that um, would allow us to achieve enough savings per year uh, to recycle those savings to meet that $5 billion uh, annual contribution target that I talked about. And while none of this is pleasant, um, there were no good options, um, we thought that these reforms would basically bring benefit levels um, uh, on both the pension and healthcare side to levels that are uh, still comparable to the high end of what you get in the private sector. And what I mean by that is on the healthcare side, um, the plans would still um, be equivalent to um, Obamacare gold plans, which are the top end of Obamacare. There's those gold, silver, and bronze, basically. Uh, there's a, a, a platinum level that exists really only in theory, I think, in Obamacare. Um, right. And so if we did that, and um, we, we made certain changes to the pension system itself, only going forward, so you get everything that's accrued to you today. Um, but we said we don't have to do what corporations do when they put people on 401k plans and wish them good luck. We can still keep the, um, the basic components of a defined benefit uh, plan with certain changes that we would call it a hybrid plan, but the money, you would still have your own account, it would still be professionally managed, um, and so forth. And between those two sets of changes, we could save uh, about $2.5 billion a year, and basically just putting it from the beneficiary's left hand into their right hand. It's still their money, it gets recycled into the pension system, and secures it for the long term. And as I say, we can do that while giving public employees benefit uh, levels that are still uh, as good or better than you get almost anywhere in the private sector. We thought that was a reasonable solution. Um, so then you say, well, why hasn't it been adopted? Um, and the answer to that is because it still requires changes and a worsening of benefit levels from the status quo, and that is politically difficult. No politician wants to do that, but at some point, politicians have to say, um, you know, just like a doctor says, an inoculation now that hurts a little bit could save you from, you know, a bad illness later. It's kind of the same thing here. And so uh, you're looking for new employees moving into the public sector uh, would have kind of a hybrid type uh, pension system. Uh, it's I, not. not uh, the, here's here's the unfortunate thing. It's not just what we proposed for new employees, uh, the, the savings wouldn't kick in um, quickly enough. And so what we said is as for all employees, you would freeze um, the current plans. So on the pension side, everything you've accrued to date, you get. But going okay. forward, um, benefits would uh, accrue at um, a different and slightly slower level. And so you know, right now, eff effectively, taxpayers are underwriting a 7% um, average annual return on the investments in the state pension fund. And so if the number comes in lower than that, um, taxpayers are on the hook for even more than we've discussed already. And yeah. so what we're saying is that's a very generous level still at which to underwrite benefits. And so we've said, you know, that needs to um, come down to a more realistic level. Uh, I'm simplifying a little bit, but um, that's essentially what we're saying going forward. So everybody's plan would be slightly different starting on what we call the freeze date. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. And I'm sure um, there's probably maybe some public sector employees 
uh, who are very nervous about that proposal. Um, no question about that, it. I, I would assume they would say, well, my my pension, t- uh, now I've heard this, and you've probably heard this too, that they feel that the pension is their right, is their property right, that yeah. they've been, yes. earned that. Um, and, and, and but I remember you talked wrong. about the COLA, and for those who don't know, COLA cost yes. of living adjustment. Could you explain the, the situation that happened with the COLAs and how that yeah. might, um, we're not saying it does, but how that could have an Correct. implication down the road? Yeah. So you know, let me begin by saying you know, I am completely sympathetic, as is the entire commission, to the notion that um, you know, I've earned these benefits, they're my statutory and they're my contractual right, and that should be the end of story. And in, in a perfect world, it would be the end of the story and should be. But in a world where you don't have the money to pay out what you owe, um, that changes. And so... Um, I'll come to the COLAs in a second, but um, there is a a fair amount of legal precedent that says a state uh, has the power to abrogate uh, a contract, to change contractual provisions when it's found to be a, quote, important public interest. Um, And on the statutory side, um, there's case law in New Jersey that says – the statutory right is essentially um, uh, not valid because it, it violates the debt limitation clause in the state constitution. So um, this was tested in some manner when um, certain people sued to have the colas that were suspended in 2011 uh, restored. And the court ruled that it, what I just said, that the, the state has the power to change these contractual obligations. And so um, one of the plaintiffs in the case was quoted, not widely, but I saw it in the Wall Street Journal, as saying, gee, if um, the state can do that with respect to my contractual right to my COLA, um, I guess they could do the same thing with respect to um, my contractual right to the underlying benefit. And it doesn't follow that that would happen, but it certainly follows that there's a risk of that happening. And so that's why I say um, to public workers that when you're um, trying to figure out your retirement security, you have to at least look at that as a risk factor. Your union leaders may be telling you, don't worry, it'll be paid out of the state operating budget. Um, maybe, maybe not. There simply may not be the money to do that, um, no matter how much you raise taxes, because at some point, particularly in New Jersey, with an incredibly um, progressive income tax rate and so much of the income tax being paid by um, a relatively small share of the state's population that are very mobile people, they can leave and decide they don't want to pay the income tax anymore. So will that happen? I don't know. Um, but it, again, it's a risk. And when you think that the first billion of, of the $13 billion in state income tax is paid by um, about 500 people, um, you have to worry that you, you got to hope they stay here. Um, so all I'm saying is that we don't know um, what the risks are to retirement security if, um, if the pension funds run dry. And, and we can't assume everything turns out fine. And, and you've been pretty consistent that we have to start solving it now or else – each year it makes it harder, much more difficult That's right. exponentially. Um, 2011, you mentioned it. 
we did some reforms there, and as we move on more to the health benefit side, I'm going to bring that up. But did that at least slow down some of the problems? Sure. Yeah. The, the 2011 reforms, um, again, were very, very tough to pretty much all the political capital that was available at the time. Uh, and the, the grand compromise was um, suspending the COLAs in the public employee plans. And when you think in terms of the, the actuarial liabilities created, um, the COLAs were a fairly large part of the overall liability. And so um, those liabilities, I forget the numbers, but were reduced substantially. Um, the trade-off for that sacrifice, if you will, was that the legislators and the governor agreed to um, uh, ramping up the contributions that the state was making. And again, the state was struggling to come up with any of this money. And um, so the deal was that they would get the full funding within seven years. Um, and that translated to roughly finding roughly a half a billion dollars of new revenue each year to put into the pension system. And they didn't uh, quite uh, keep up with that, even though um, Governor Christie put more money in than all of his, com his predecessors combined, it still fell short of those ambitious goals. And so we've fallen a little further behind because we didn't keep to that schedule. But th those reforms were critical. Uh, it led to uh, reduced actuarial liabilities, and it, it did lead to far more money being pumped into the pension plans than might otherwise have been the case. The problem is that politicians marketed it as a full solution back then, and it simply has not been. And I remember that. That was a pretty tough battle. Uh, Very tough battle. And, and, uh, and maybe a team battle. Easily, and I think some people, some politicians probably do not want to go back there. I'm sure they don't want to relive it. Um, and as I say, uh, the, the battles to come may be worse. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I uh, don't want to make it sound like that was low-hanging fruit at all. But um, when we look back in a couple of years from now, it may be regarded as such because, you know, I, I don't know what a, a good analogy or metaphor is, but, you know, as you climb a mountain, um, the air gets thinner and thinner the higher you climb. So every thousand feet up uh, is more difficult than the last thousand feet. And the same is going to is, is sort of true with respect to political solutions to the pension crisis. Uh, the air gets thinner, the options get fewer, and it gets harder and harder to solve. Uh, and it's hard to separate this one out, but we're going to at least get into the health benefits uh, sure. because um, that's uh, that's another it's another situation where it's a big drain on the, the state budget and a lot of the same situations, and we did some reforms in that area too. Uh, where is that at this point? Well, um, politically. Uh, a number of the labor unions said that there's no nexus between pension reform and health care benefits. And um, so uh, the, the difficult political negotiation is going to be um, some realization that we really can't solve the pension crisis without um, talking about entire benefit packages all in, in, in one. 
And so mm-hmm. there's a huge uh, unfunded liability um, on the healthcare benefits side as well um, that isn't even part of the pension plan. So you know, how we finance that is a whole nother thing. So what, what the pension commission said is that uh, under Obamacare gold, um, the employer um, basically pays for 80% of the actual costs incurred of medical care for the average participant. And obviously catastrophic, that changes and so forth. Um, but the state plan, uh, the state is paying about 96% of costs incurred rather than that 80% level. And so by uh, taking the health care plan down to the 80% level, um, that's where uh, the actuaries on our commission uh, uh, calculated we could save um, a billion for a year. And um, by having a, a plan that um, was slightly less generous, um, it would also knock down premium levels. And so um, while employees m- would be paying somewhat more for costs incurred, that would be offset to a, not a complete but a great extent um, by uh, lower premiums. And so, again, um, you know, all of this has um, a bitter taste. As I say, there were no good options to deal with the problem of this magnitude, but it, it seemed um, a fair way to go. And while New Jersey had a Republican governor, um, you know, I tried to point out that, you know, what we were proposing was really no different than what a Democratic president in Washington was proposing. And so, uh, again, I understand that it's a, a, if you're a beneficiary and you have a, the plan that you have now, it's a, a change, in, at least in the short term, for the worse. And so, you know, there will be political resistance to it. And we've got to educate people to um, see that there's basically no other way to get there. And um, now we talked about how pensions are, are protected, or at least people are under the impression they're protected. How protected mm-hmm. is the health benefit plan? Because I would think that, that doesn't have, it's not that does not category. have the same protections, right? And so again, uh, between the fact that there are uh, n- none of the same protections, number one, and number two, there's a huge unfunded liability. Uh, if we don't deal with this now, um, that may be part of the discretionary spending, just like school aid uh, to suburban schools. It simply gets cut, and and employees are worse off in the long run. So, you know, if if you look at this from a purely selfish standpoint, and you're a couple of years from retirement, you say, so what? Uh, if you're 25, you say, well, this really isn't so good. And again, another uh, part of the reason that we're trying to come up with uh, a benefit structure that's fair to everybody is if you skew it. Um, too much in, in favor of current workers and lay all of the burden on the, the new generation, then it gets much, much harder to attract quality people uh, into the workforce. Uh, you, we want um, teaching school um, and other forms of public service to remain attractive career options. And so, you know, we, we didn't want to uh, you know, put the entire burden on, on the newest workers. And as uh, just uh, for full disclosure, and for anyone who wants to ask a question, the number is one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four. 
just press one and I'll put you on, or you can put a question in the chat room. I, I see a lot of people listening now. Um, uh, Tom, uh, this commission was under Governor Christie, uh, but you right. are a Democrat. Yes, the commission uh, was genuinely bipartisan. Um, there were there were three Democrats on it. I think three independents, four Republicans. One of the other Democrats was a is a prominent labor lawyer in the state, and. Um, you know, there was, you know, maybe a difference in one or two little nuances, but, you know, once you got into the numbers, we all looked at each other and said, it doesn't really matter what party you're in. The math here is the math. And so there was broad agreement on what we had to do. All right. I have a question. And your the last four digits of your telephone number on the hold is 1411. So 1411, you're on the line. Just tell me your name and where you're from. Hello? Sorry, can you hear me now? Yep, I can hear you now. Yes, Sorry, I can. My name is my name is Pat Rowe. I live in Madison, New Jersey, and just for full disclosure, I'm a councilman here, and I previously okay. served on the board of education here, so I've experienced um, some of the, or been paying attention to this for quite a while. My my question to Mr. Byrne is, given the fact that a lot of legislators, either through being in the legislature or their other elected offices, are currently members of the pension plan, and also a significant number of them rely on the public sector unions to fund their campaigns. And we saw what happened to Mr. Sweeney when he uh, decided to buck them last year. You know, what's the likelihood that they're willing to go back anytime in the near future, especially when you had a governor who pretty much ran uh, with the full support of the unions um, in the near future? Well, you know, I've, it's a good question. Um, and um, I, I've had a number of pretty sophisticated political people say that uh, it's it's going to require uh, courageous leadership um, from the executive branch, from the new governor, um, you know, a little bit almost of a Nixon goes to China uh, type of approach. Um, so the, the good and hopeful news is that since Governor Murphy does have uh, good relations with uh, the unions, um, he is in a position to go to them and say, look, um, uh, you, have, you have confidence that I'm coming to you as a person of goodwill, trying to do what's right by you, and we, we do have to make uh, some tough decisions. So that's point one, and I'm hopeful about that. Um, point two is that um, the, the union did try to take out Steve Sweeney, and I believe he won uh, by a bigger margin than he's ever won by. And so uh, at, at some point, um, you know, he probably feels a little bit inoculated and, and he's, a, I believe, a courageous guy to begin with and is in a position to be uh, that leader in the legislature. Now, that's only one of the two houses and we have new leadership in the, in the state assembly. I don't know uh, one way or the other how that goes. I uh, was with uh, Speaker Coughlin uh, recently and, you know, offered myself as a resource at any time he wanted to talk. Uh, so... Um, I don't. You feel free to follow up, but I, I don't know um, that there's a clear-cut answer here, other than that all of these politicians um, know that uh, um, this does not end well, um, and on a shorter and shorter time horizon, if they don't act. And that's again part of the reason for the public education initiatives and so forth. Um, you know that that's not. A, a Pollyannish answer or, or you know, a, a guarantee that good things happen, but um, we just have to hope that 
uh, with the momentum from this election and the goodwill established that uh, it that it turns into political capital that's put to good use. Yeah, I, I would and say you, I'm not you as want sanguine. To follow up on that, not, or? Yeah, as I was say, I'm not as sanguine about it for two reasons. One, I think. Although Steve Sweeney won, I think a lot of other legislatures, legislators rather, are now have the fear of God put in them by the fact that the the NJEA is willing to spend a massive amount of money to take one of them out. And Steve Sweeney was probably the only person who had a, or could generate a big enough war chest to fight them. But they they've proven that they're willing to spend any amount of money to you know scorched earth. The second I think it's a very was, fair comment, by the way. No yeah. no argument with you here. Yeah. The, Go ahead. Um, I was going to say something else about – oh, the other thing that, that, that's also bothering me is and, – and you can see it this year with the health care costs that are being presented to municipalities and to school districts. Our, our costs are going up, I think, 0 percent. School districts are going up by over 10 percent because uh, the, the, the unions that were involved with the municipal side were willing to negotiate and come up with a, a better plan that, you know, for both of us. The, the, the teachers' union has been unwilling to do anything with regards to their health care benefits – and as a result, they're seeing a fairly substantial increase. And, you know, we're back to the bad old days. When I, when I served on the board for 10 years, we would consistently see 10% increases. And when you when you look at that over a period of seven years, you're talking about your health care costs doubling. Um, 20, 25 years ago, health care costs were a very insignificant cost to a school district. Now they're behind um, behind the cost of the actual salaries, the second biggest cost. And they're not yeah. even paying their pension costs. The pension costs for the teacher side is supposed to be covered by the state. Those are the payments that are not getting made, and that's why the teacher's pension plan is in such bad shape. So I understand why they're upset with the state, but yeah. to some degree they're cutting off their nose to spite their face. And I think they're they're really – you know, I, I, my wife is a teacher. Uh, the other full disclosure is my mother's a teacher, my wife's a teacher, my daughter's a teacher. So they're all involved in some degree in, in the, the teacher's union. And I said to all of them, you know, you're also – raising the cost of, of education, you know, on a per-teacher basis, that it's going to slowly start to hurt the the, va- the, the, um, the value of the education in the state because the amount of, of teachers that we can hire. And, you know, you're seeing a push now from Governor Murphy to do universal pre-care. That's going to be very expensive, both from a, a personnel cost and also from a building cost. So I just don't see how this all has a good outcome unless he kind of wakes up one day and says, you know what, I need to really take a, um, a strategic focus on where all this is going to end up if we don't start to do something now. Yeah, uh, look, I'm I, going to put you I back on hold. More. Uh, and because that was my next question was, uh, the, it seemed like the teachers union wasn't as inclined uh, to do look at the health care savings in the healthcare area. Do you think that's something that almost will be forced or at that you know down the road? It should be forced. Um, uh, you know, one thing that I've repeated before, but I'll say it again, is that um, I've gotten to know um, Dick Ravitch, the former lieutenant governor of New York State, who's uh, also uh, an enormously successful private businessman, a former bank chairman, graduate of Yale Law School, um, and was very, very involved in um, dealing with the New York City fiscal crisis back in the 1970s. And I said to him, you know, how did that finally get resolved? And he said to me, the way it got resolved was by people sitting around a table and agreeing to things that they swore they would never agree to. And, um, you know, uh, I imagine that was done with um, more than polite handshakes. It was probably done with with screaming and this and that. And um, I think we're coming to that here. 
And I hope we have the kind of courageous leadership that is willing on both sides that is willing to sit down at the table knowing that they, they have to solve this stuff. And um, right now I agree that there simply is a lot of intransigence and uh, we're not there yeah. yet. Uh, a metaphor that I've used again is when I speak to try to emphasize the urgency of this is I tell people I remember when I was a little kid being homesick from school one day and I was reading a Reader's Digest article that said if you were in a rowboat in the middle of the Niagara River and you were a quarter mile up, you could row as hard as you wanted and you were still going over. Um, it, it's too late. And I said, we don't know where we are. I know people who think, um, smart people know the pension system well, who think it's already too late to save this thing. But as long as we feel we have a chance, um, um, we've got to – we got to start rowing hard now, and and I, I think enough people, um, uh, both on the political side and on the union side, get that. And so, we just have to hope that our leaders, the, the governor and Senator Sweeney and and key union people, um, are willing to sit down sooner than later on this. But you're right; there's no guarantee that that'll happen. And we have a comment, or maybe even a kind of a comment question. Um, sure. The lowering of uh, health care benefits and, and increasing costs to employees is, is consistent with the private sector job market at this point. Uh, correct. Which, uh, I, would, I would say it's correct in that the public wasn't happy with that uh, as workers, but they're, they're uh, less supportive of the, the, the benefits that public employees right. are getting than they were maybe a few years ago. Would you of course. The, kind of the, the problem with that? is – yeah, the problem is if it's if it's your benefits that we're talking about, I completely agree. Uh, the psychology is that if it's my benefits, I'm not sure I agree, <laughs> and that's you know obviously what we're dealing with here. You know, nobody wants to give up um, what they have, and that's a perfectly understandable uh, reaction. But it, it's one that unfortunately you know doesn't serve um, even your own long-term interests. Um, if, if you want to preserve the health care and, and pension system that we have. Uh, before, and I, I kind of, you kind of glossed over it, but I just want to go back to one thing. <coughs> Excuse me. You were talking about the 7% return. That seems to be a pretty yeah. good return. Am I? Well, um, yeah, it is a good return. And there's no guarantee that um, we we get there. Um you know, these returns, the assumed rate of return has come down in, in recent years as well it should um, for two reasons. Number one, interest rates are a lot lower than they were, you know, years ago when some of these returns, uh, you know, hadn't been changed for a long time, number one. Number two, markets, stock markets are more overvalued. So um, when you look long term at what we've actually achieved in, over the last three years, the state pension has returned 7.4%. In the last five years, we've returned 8.7%. But in the last 10 years, we've returned just under 6%, so below the 7 Now, <clears throat> that obviously still um, encompasses uh, uh, the 2008 bear market. And so... Um, the more recent numbers that I've cited are good, but they are in the context of a major bull market in stocks. And who knows if we can keep that up? So we, sh we, we need to be um, a little bit – we need to be more conservative in the assumed rate. 
And the Christie administration in its last days dropped the assumed rate uh, from 7.65% down to 7%. And that's after having dropped it from, I believe, eight and a quarter to 765 over the course of the last two or three years. So, you know, we're getting to uh, what most people think is a pretty real istic level, but still one that could turn out to be too optimistic. And if it is too optimistic, then um, the pension situation is even more dire than I've described. Uh, yeah, and there's always a chance for, I, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but we periodically do have markets where it's like 2008 where things drop. Um, right. And that's why uh, we diversify. I like to put all our right. eggs in one basket. And, you know, I, I'd like to put everything in Amazon. I'd love to put everything in Bitcoin, assuming I could invest a year ago. But when you're managing a pension fund, you can't do that. You, you have to sp spread out your investments. You have to diversify your risk. The first rule is not all your eggs in one basket. And so um, we are uh, well diversified. And so um, in good years, we don't quite keep up with the S&P, but in bad years, um, we do considerably better than the, the uh, S&P or than stocks. And so uh, you know, we have a lot of the best quant minds in the investment industry working with us to uh, achieve what we think is you know, an optimal uh, investment uh, allocation and so forth. And we have another question in uh... – uh, the chat room, uh, why not offer sure. a cafeteria plan where lower benefits are offered or they, or they can select the gold with the higher out-of-pocket cost to them? Uh, I, I assume they're saying that like the teachers or whoever the public employee is has a multitude of plans that they can choose from. Uh, but I think that's one um, of the things that you were kind of recommending. Yeah, well, what we did is our commission set out you know, more or less a, a conceptual framework. And um, we said, look, the, the details have to be filled in by, uh, you know, a, a subsequent group. And so um, um, I, I think that's a perfectly legitimate request, as long as the, you know, the overall costs to the state, to the taxpayer are relatively in line. There's no reason why you can't have some trade-offs in a, in a cafeteria plan. I mean, I think that's a perfectly good suggestion, and I could see that happening um, within the, the confines of this broader structure that I've tried to outline. So, okay, sure. We're coming towards our end. I just want to reiterate some of the key points that you've pointed out. Uh, a, that the pension and health benefits, I mean, you almost have to reform them at the same time because they're connected in terms of, the savings for the state right. budget and for everyone. Yeah. Um, and the other one I think you've, you've, we've said a lot, but it's at the time it's getting more critical. The longer we wait, the harder it is to get out of this, this situation. Yes, absolutely. And and yeah. the third thing is that, you know, there this can be done with um, – uh, the commission said it can be done all on the structural side while keeping this consistent with um, private sector benefits. And at the same time, you know, if, if revenue um, uh, it becomes a, a part of the solution, which I think is a good likelihood with a Democratic administration, as long as the problem gets solved, bravo. All right. So you, you can have increased revenue, but if we don't have – if our state doesn't increase its revenue, or maybe if it doesn't increase enough, there is a possibility that – money that normally might go to the regular operating and salaries for teachers and for public employees, there might be less funds coming from the state for that. 
Sure. And look, there's inflation. It's not high, but other costs are going up. And so the state has taken a, a highly disproportionate amount of its revenue growth and devoted it to pensions. And uh, that leaves other programs um, lacking for resources, and that probably can't go on forever. Okay. And uh, that brings us to the last uh, minute. And I will, Tom, I'd like to thank you. Tom Byrne, I'd like to thank you for joining us on this program. I think. Uh, our members and all those who are listening uh, found it very informative. Um, so thank you. You bet. Happy to be of help and happy to follow up, too. If, if your members have any additional questions for me, I can respond privately. I want to try to make this All right. I will let them know that. If possible. you have any questions on, I will forward it on to Tom, and he will get back to you. Excellent. Okay. And everyone have a good afternoon. Thank you. You too.